stoked. That's a word you use a lot, I think, right? Um, but I wanted to share with you, we had the great privilege of being with our BC Vineyard leaders this week. And um, uh, David and Anita Ruiz, who have now become our national directors, we have the great privilege of, of being in the region here in British Columbia, where we have them also as part of our regional leadership team. And David actually led the retreat. It was a really, really good time. It was a good time for Wade and I as a couple. Um, it was a good time for me personally. I feel like it was life-saving. I know that I have been keeping up a level of intensity schedule-wise that's been um, full-on since the sabbatical started, but I actually felt like the retreat was pretty life-saving for me just as far as the Lord saying, here's a reset button. <laughs> here's a way for you to slow down. Um, it's also just a really uh, special thing to be with other vineyard churches. I Until I got into leadership in the vineyard, I actually never went to any regional events. And I want to encourage you that as events come up, to really try and take a chance to go because we're not all by ourselves here in East Vancouver. We are a part of a bigger family. And we, uh, we have the great privilege during this sabbatical season of having other leaders come in and share with us and teach with us. David Roos and Anita are actually going to come twice this summer. They're going to come once in July and once in August. They're going to lead some worship. And we have other vineyard leaders that are going to come. Um, those of you who remember Carl, who's praying about church planting here in Vancouver, who was our first guest speaker in April, he was there and he shared. And... Um, and there was also a really special time, which I'll tell you about in a little bit, where there was a focus on Vancouver. But when David got up to share with us as a vineyard family from a national perspective, the picture that he had been given, and he said it had come up a couple times, was that of uh, a car that was driving along with a huge windshield and a really small rearview mirror. And he said it's very much the sense of forgetting what's in the past, acknowledging, remembering it's there. The past is a helpful thing sometimes to know and learn from, but just big vision, big forward-moving vision. And we heard stories of what's been happening around the province. And God is on the move. People are being healed. And I loved the testimony of um, Hart Lowen, who leads at the, at the Penticton Vineyard. And he said, I am an adamant believer in evangelism over a long period of time. That people come to know Jesus because you spend years with them, you walk with them, you build a relationship with them. But lately we felt challenged to go out and just pray and ask God for words for people and pray for them. And then I had the really awkward position of actually meeting a guy and I talked with him and prayed with him and then he wanted to become a follower of Jesus right then. <laughs> which was hard for me because I don't believe that people actually come to know Jesus that way. But I prayed for him anyway, and he's a follower of Jesus now, even though God doesn't save people that way. So he was very self-effacing and just talked about the fact that there had been people coming to the Lord and healing, physical healing. And there was a real encouragement to remember that as the vineyard, God has given us a really specific DNA of believing in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, believing that everyone can pray that everyone can pray for each other, and that we can ask God for big things. Um, Wade and I had the very special privilege of meeting and sitting and even having a meal with two of our vineyard leaders from Thailand, the people that started vineyard churches in Thailand. Um, they're like, if God has a call on you for Thailand, the next time we see you, we want to see you in Thailand. He said, you come on your vacation. I was like, I'm going to have to pray about it. He says, what do you have to pray about? 
He said, you have a culture that has a vacation every year, right? In Thailand, we don't have vacation every year. I said, yeah, every year we take a vacation. Okay, you come to Thailand for your vacation. I was like, I have five people in my family. How am I going to get here? He was just like, you, you come. If God's called you, you come, you come. So he challenged everybody, and he led in a really special ministry time where he called people and said, you are going to be prayed for now, and then at the end of the time where you're prayed for, get ready because you're going to turn around, and now you're going to pray for everybody else. And it was really cool because it just prevented this sense of, here I am in this intensive care ministry, and now I'm going to curl up in a little ball and just be fetal and be ministered to. I can say that because I was one of the people that was being ministered to, and it really was amazing in just seeing our vineyard um, practices just walked out, reminded of what that looks like. And there was just a really special, beautiful freedom in worship. Um, the, he talks about strengthening what remains of the vineyard and just remembering who we are, that Jesus is our center, that we worship together because we're, we're, we're followers of Jesus, not because we're vineyard. Vineyard is an expression of what that looks like. But we worship together because Jesus is our center. And then... He talked about partnership being a must, especially about urban church planting. And guys, they did a whole time where all the people prayed for the city of Vancouver because of, you know, how Gordy was sharing with us before he left about Insu Kim and Angela Kim coming from the Columbus Vineyard and praying about church planting. They have another couple with a young daughter who's also joined them, and they're coming in August, and they're going to come to Abbotsford and be based out of Abbotsford. And they actually showed us a whole video that Insu and his family had prepared and God just spoke to my heart that Abbotsford is totally the right place for them to be based out of. And we were given an opportunity to publicly acknowledge and thank the Abbotsford Vineyard for hosting them, that it was the right place for them to come, and also to pray for Carl and bless him. And I was able to share about how, how he'd come here, and he was the first speaker in our series, and it was the first time that he'd spoken in Vancouver. And then everyone in the province prayed for us as a city prayed for the whole city of Vancouver and what it is that God was doing there, prayed for us. And also we heard from um, what has been happening in Strathcona with Jamie and Dawn. They're just, I mean, they're starting businesses and they're just, it's amazing. So I just want to encourage you that um, sometimes when we're small, it's easy to feel alone or forgotten or we're like all, all by ourselves. And we're just not. We have aunties and uncles and grandmas and grandpas that love us and are praying for us and are particularly praying for us during Kathleen and Gordy's absence. And um, it was really a privilege to, to be there and represent all of you and to receive on behalf of all of you. So I bring you greetings and much love from your vineyard family who loves you and are praying for you and are for you and want good things for you. So it was an awesome time. So thanks for sending us. That was awesome. It was great. Yeah, of course. So I want to invite uh, Wade. Why don't you come up and pray for Sandra? Give her a little intro. All right. So um, not only were Sandra and Matt the only people in this room who were actually um, at our wedding 18 years ago, but I just had to pull out the iPhone calculator to actually do the math that I've known uh, Matt and Sandra for 23 years. Isn't that crazy? So there's been multiple children since then, and we're still friends. You know, that's, you know, kind of crazy. Uh, so I'm just really uh, looking forward to what, you know, God has to say for us through you. All right. So, Lord, um, 
Thank you for Sandra and for the unique word that you've given her um, and just our ability to hear uh, what she has to say for us from your Holy Spirit. Please help all of us. In your name, amen. Good morning. <laughs> um, I'm fairly new here, so I'll give you a little intro to who I am so you know who it is that's talking up here. Um, I grew up in Victoria, mostly, and um, when I graduated, I went to YOM and met two important people. One was Wade. He was a dear friend. And the other person was my husband, who um, has, you know, been sent into this church before me because he is much more personable than I am. And so I like to follow him after he's been here for a few years because if I go in first, it doesn't work so well. So, um, and... uh, when I was 30, I graduated from UBC. I got a philosophy degree, so I know nothing about preaching or teaching or sermonizing of any kind. Um, I'm really good at, you know, reading 40 books and academic papers and compiling, you know, philosophical arguments. And um, so that's kind of how I approached this sermon. At first, I thought, well, you know, I'm just going to read, like, everything I know about holiness. But I have two small children, Judah and Evangeline, who are six and four, and they provide me no time to read. So um, I had to go about it a different way, and um, that was by listening. Um, And so I think it's kind of appropriate because in the soul training exercises of this book, um, they pretty much are sleep, listen, spend time to read an entire book of John Um, have a margin, today's is margin, of creating a space in your life for other things besides everything else. Um, So um, I was thinking that we'll just start with a soul training exercise um, because this book is essentially a book on Christian CBT. CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy, which is using your cognitive abilities to change your behavior. And... um, What's cool about a Christian CBT is that we've got the Holy Spirit. So he's filling up your brain, and he's changing your behavior. And um, so we're going to start with silence, because that's it. Um, if we can't hear, then nothing's happening. So we're the sheep listening to his voice. So... Um, Every Friday, I spend uh, a couple hours doing silent prayer, contemplative prayer with some friends, and it is by far the most life-changing thing I've experienced because every single Friday morning when I listen, we listen for invitation for the next few days, and every single time I sit and listen, even if my listening is, you know, peppered with, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that the other day to my kid, and, oh, my goodness, uh, I've got to do this, and, um, you know, what am I not going to do about that, and blah, blah, blah. That's what listening sometimes is, right? Your brain is wired up. and um, But that's okay, because God knows what your brain's like, and he's cool with that. So we're going to have some time to listen. So I'm just going to invite you to put your feet on the ground, get into a comfortable position, and um, just close your eyes, and... The whole idea is just that we're going to be quiet and you don't have to, you know, hear anything from God and your mind can race around and that's okay. And if it's racing around, I uh, kind of a tool I use is I imagine 
I see my thought and I just see this river and I put that thought on the boat and the, that river is just constantly moving. So just don't attach, if you can, any more thoughts to that thought. Just let that thought run down the river because there's time to think about that later. And uh, we'll just be silent and that'll help us to hear the Holy Spirit today. So I'll give you a few moments. You can open your eyes. One second. So here's my PowerPoint presentation. I apologize that you will not be able to see it. Um, so I'm just going to ask you when you think of God being holy, um, I'm just going to throw it to you. What do you think? What words? What stories? Whatever.
Um, so we have the story from Isaiah where um, he feels unclean and um, God takes the coal and touches his lips. Let's hope that happens today here. Um, and um, also that in God being holy is a place of freedom. Um, someone has said to me also that uh, when they think about God being holy, they want to run the other way. And um, when I looked at all the other chapters in the book, like God being good and beautiful and transforming and trustworthy, I was like, you know, I wouldn't have to, I'm totally into those topics. I could think of lots of examples and stories. God is holy is like by far the hardest chapter in this book. <laughs> um, because, hey, you don't want to say the wrong thing, you know, you might get burnt to a crisp here. Um, that's Matt's story of holiness. Uh, who, what's, Nadab and Baihu, who brought, were the wrong guys at the wrong time with the wrong incense and were incinerated. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, anyway, but I feel like God's been speaking to me for some time about, you know, having fear of the Lord, and, um, I have no idea, really, what that means when I think about fear of the Lord, you know, like, I think most of us still just are wrapped around in our head that fear is kind of this trembling kind of thing, and, um, but, um, when I just thought about this for the last couple of weeks, I was just constantly moved to tears about the holiness of God. And I will continue to be moved to tears today um, because I'm an artist now and besides being a freelance philosopher. And um, I'm really moved by beauty. And uh, so I, I would warn you now, they may be a lot of crying during this. And uh, yeah, so... I'll tell you what happens in this chapter about God is holy. So we're talking ab about false narratives, the narratives that we sometimes have lingering in our own brains and Jesus' narrative. So Smith talks about um, there being two main false narratives um, that we have when we think about God's holiness. And one is that God is wrathful, angry, um, likes to incinerate people, and he's kind of pissed off that we're still dealing with sin, and he can't wait to judgment day to, like, lay down the law, and, you know, that's the end of it, and he's kind of just putting up with us until then. Um, you know, and I've definitely probably fallen into that kind of thinking myself, like, oh, God, there's just no way God can be pleased with me because I just keep doing the same stuff I don't want to do, right? Just like Paul talks about the things you want to do, you don't do, and, you know, um, so anyway, the other second um, main narrative that's false that we have is that God doesn't care about sin um, and that he's kind of powerless against it. You know, people, the kind of sort of pop culture or TV sort of vision of God being kind of like, well, you know, it's all good. He's love. He's not going to punish anybody. You know, don't worry about the lake of fire and um, that kind of thing, right? And... Uh, I think probably as Christians, we all kind of know that he does care about sin. So maybe we fall more into the God's wrathful and angry. Um, and it's really hard to have a relationship with somebody that you feel like they're pissed off with you because you can't get your act together. Um, and Jesus' narrative is, uh, here's a little reading from John, is uh, that Jesus says, is whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, but must endure God's wrath. 
So, you know, there's a cheery verse. And, uh, but God's wrath is, um, as we'll see, not the wrath that we're thinking about. Um, so in the Bible, we see it's really clear that God demonstrates wrath towards sin, um, that there is judgment in God's kingdom, and that there is a need for Jesus to die on the cross, and that these things and God's wrath are actually good and beautiful and trustworthy, that we need them. Um, and so the next question that he asks in the book, obviously, is then if God is wrathful, how do we put that together that God is loving? And um, he says in Romans 11 that God is both kind and severe. Um, and so the, what's difficult for us when we think about wrath and even love is that we have our human conceptions about what those things are. Wrath, we tend to think of as like someone's flown off the handle and is in this crazed fit of rage. And love is kind of this passionate, deep feeling from our heart, you know, oh, I'm just going to have this feeling forever. And anyone who's been in love knows that that's not actually the case. Um, that, that's not what love is. Um, those are kind of both, in a way, fits of passion. And God is passionate, but he's not given to fits of passion um, because we know that he is constant and he doesn't um, change. So um, the word for love, of course, in the Bible is agape, which is to will the good of another so much that personal sacrifice is no limit. And so obviously that's what we see in Jesus, that he wills our good so much that he's willing to, he holds his life as lighter than our own good. Um, and that the word for God's wrath in Greek is pathos, which is not passion, but an act that is formed with care and intention and the result of determination and decision. So wrath is actually a very... Um, it is it is a, a sort of consistent position 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 of um, care and thought. It's from the mind. It's not this heart thing where God is out for punishing us. Um, and um, His love is also not just sort of this like, oh, I kind of love you, man. You know, this is great. It's it's like I'm always holding your good as the top thing in my mind. And he's always, Jesus didn't just die and that's done. He is always offering up all that he is to us. And, um, and so, and that doesn't diminish. That love never diminishes. And the wrath is not towards us, but our sin. It is towards sin. God's wrath is never on us. His, he does not, he's not angry with us. He doesn't have fits of rage towards us um, or even towards his sin. His wrath is, he says in this book, is not um, a character, it's not a character attribute of God. You know, God is love. God is trustworthy. God is good. God's wrath is an action that's necessary to kind of eradicate sin. It's, it's, uh, and it's sort of, so it's, it's contingent on the fact that there is sin. As soon as sin is done, wrath is gone. There will be no, no need for wrath. That will, it is just an action that we need, and a good and loving God shows wrath towards our sin so that we can be pure 
and holy as he is holy. The, I really believe that when he says, be holy as I am holy, is not like, here's another thing you've got to figure out how to do. Um, it's an invitation. It's like, here I am, holy, and you're invited into the presence of holiness. Um, and uh, so personally, I find that very encouraging. Um, my last two weeks prepping for the sermon, I, besides thinking maybe I should read 40 books on holiness, um, which I didn't have the time for, I thought, well, maybe I'll just try to really be kind of holy living in the next couple of weeks. Um, I failed at that. Um, I spent more time kind of thinking, oh, my God, what have I done with my children? When I see some of the things that, you know, my kids do, I'm like, oh, what have I done wrong? And then that insane guilt, and then you scream at them, and you're like, oh, my God, I'm a terrible person. And um, my house was in chaos. There was construction happening. There was holes being cut into the wall of my living room. There's dust everywhere. Finally, my family succumbed to sickness due to how much dust there was in the living room. Um, there was people visiting me. I had three different people visiting me. They were all family. We all know what that does to someone's brain. And um, it was chaotic. And um, I'm an introvert. I spent a lot of time resting and being quiet just as my nature and it was like insane. There was no margin in my life in the last um, couple weeks at all. And then I thought, I thought, oh my God, I have just so done the exact opposite of holy living or prepping for a sermon even, you know. Um, but then I thought just how beautiful that is actually because, you know, I was kind of losing my SHIT and God is like power today you know uh paul says in 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 corinthians i come before you with fear and trembling and um not with the with persuasive speech and not with um any you know particular wisdom and i was like oh yeah that is so how i feel and i'm like if that's good enough for paul hey that is good enough for me and what he says is because of that we know that it's just the power of the spirit and it's just his his beauty and his goodness that's going to move. And, and I, what was kind of cool as I realized was like, I can't, I can't get myself holy. I can't act myself into holiness. I can't think in a holy kind of way all on my own. Um, and God is still bringing me as I do all that crazy stuff, as I fill my life with more things than I can manage, as I, you know, take my body to the point of, you know, debilitation. He is still working at every moment for my good with that beautiful wrath towards my sin and is moving me to holiness, even when it's, like, nutty. And um, so I was kind of encouraged, weirdly, that, like, that's what's happening, even though I'm doing, you know, my stuff. And just how good God is, that he is, he's always working at every single moment. He's always talking, his spirit is always speaking to me, you know. And um, Judah loves this story about Elijah, you know, on the mountain run away. He's like, well, I'm freaked out. And God comes, you know, with hurricanes and earthquakes 
and you know, and uh, it's very cute. We say to the kids, and where, where did, where did, how did God speak? And it's like the whisper, you know. And that's why we need to get quiet, is because God's whispering, but it's this constant, fierce, forceful, beautiful, deep whisper. And I think how amazing it is that there is so many um, things thrown at our senses in a day. We've got TV, we've got radio, we've got the messages of other people, we've got the messages of our parents. You're this, you're that, you're echoing those things. You've got the hurts of your life yelling in your mind. And it's like God says, this is how you can know it's my voice, because it's not those loud advertising messages. It's the quiet one. It stands out. It stands out amongst all of those voices that are yelling, including your own. So that's how you can know it. It's that quiet whisper um, that makes you go, I'm home, you know. And um, so anyway, I'm kind of going off track. But um, so in the book, um, wrath is towards our sin. And the reason God is wrathful towards our sin is because he's so for us. Sin destroys us. Sin is, is wreaks havoc. It tears the soul of us. It, it, it leads us to death. We, and that's what Jesus came for, is to consume that death, to destroy that with his burning fire. And so if sin hurts us, it hurts him because he loves us. And if we are for our sin, if we come attached to that sin, then he is definitely going to be against that desire. He's just going to burn and burn and burn and burn, and that's just not going to end. And, um, you know, consuming fire is like a crazy image. But, you know, obviously the best image for that is Moses um, and that burning bush. And I thought, that's what we are. We're not Moses in that picture. We're the bush. We are the bush in that picture. Um, that bush is not consumed. The consuming fire is not to consume who we are. It's to consume the sin that tears apart at who we are, that tries to destroy who we are, the, the one that God made us to be. And so holiness is not that is actually just God is pure. Holiness is God's purity. He is, he is without darkness. He is without sin. He is without evil. He is that place of rest for us. He, I know that in my own self, I sometimes, like, I long to be free of the things that just tear me apart. I long to be free of the sin that keeps happening, even though I don't want it to be, be there. And God is like, that says no one is holy like the Lord. God is light. There is no darkness in him. Who is like him? He is that place of rest for us. He is the pure, pure place where there is no sin. There is no evil. There is no shadow of darkness. There is no death. And I find that just so like, that is where I want to be. I want to be in that place. Um, where you're so free. You're free to rest. Um, and so, 
there's some a lot of great verses. They're not in that book, but that I looked up about how um, God is holy. There is no one like Him, but He is making us like Him. There will be a time that you too have no sin, no evil, no death, no darkness, no pain, nothing that destroys you. And there are many verses that tell us that that's true. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. He gave up his life for a glorious church that she should be holy and without blemish. God did not call us for uncleanness, but for holiness. We are a holy calling, a holy priesthood, a holy nation who have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we see that God's wrath is necessary to destroy our sin. He, it's necessary so that we will not be alienated from him, that we will never be separated from him. He is, he is doing it. We're not doing it. He is doing it. And in the book, he talks about, um, he references this essay by George MacDonald, who I think is the guy that um, quite inspired C.S. Lewis. And his, his, his um, essay is based on that God is a consuming fire and that God loves us unto purity, so which means that God is going to keep loving and loving and burning and burning until we're pure, just like he is. And um, if you can read that essay, it's insanely good. I cried through most of it as I read it. It's really dense. It's old language, but it's really beautiful. And just in case you think that maybe there's a chance that he's just you know, holiness might not happen for you, that it might happen for saints. There's a really great verse in Proverbs that says, many are the plans of a person, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. It will prevail in your life, in your spirit. That's what's happening. There isn't any other thing that's going to happen. In Obadiah, it says, on Mount Zion, there shall be deliverance. There shall be holiness. And that's where you're going to be. And the only way you're going to get there is because God is going to do it. Um, and in this, in this um, essay that he references, there's this great quote that when I, I read it, I was kind of crying as I read this essay. And then I was like crying and laughing at the same time. Um, and it says... Uh, the one who loves God and is not yet pure courts the burning of God. And courts is a great word because um, when George MacDonald was writing that, courts was like how peop- a man would court a woman with wooing, with beauty, with constancy. And it's like we love God and we are courting his burning, that beautiful burning. Um, which I just find very tender and very beautiful. Um, And in Paul, uh, in Hebrews, Paul tells us that discipline is painful, but it is the sign of God's love, and it's the sign of being a legitimate child of the kingdom. If, If you want to be in the kingdom, 
it needs to be as God determines that you should be, um, that there is, there's a state that he has, we were, we were in sin, and Christ came, and he died, and he put that sin to death, he put death down, and he rose, and he transformed who we are, so he took care of sin, and they transform who we were. We are not f- of the flesh. We are not of the world. We are Christ-inhabited people. We are people who are full, and we're made to house the fullness of God. The fullness of who he is is inside you. Um, and he does this disciplining, this burning for our good, so that we may share, share and be partakers in his holiness. Um, So I'm totally into that. That's the love that I want. (laughs) I want the love that is going to just make me holy and bring me to a place of freedom where I never have a shadow of darkness. I never have a thought that's dark. I never, I never am separated from him. There isn't a moment that I'm not quite there, but I'm always there in his presence, called exactly where I'm made to be and exactly who I am. Each one of us is an individual, and exactly who you feel you are yourself to be, that is the G- that's the person that Jesus sees. That's the one he made. That's the one he's in love with, and that's the one who gets to be with him, your very best self that your spirit senses that's in there. That's the one he sees. And um, so we are, we are the unshakable. We are the bush that's not going to be consumed. Um, just the sin, just the sin. That's all that's going. Since we are receiving a kingdom which is unshakable, and if we're in the kingdom, we are one of the unshakables, let us offer gratitude and please God by worshiping him with fear and awe. And not God, the fear is not, God isn't shaming us. He's not belittling us. He's not making us feel a little bit bad or a little bit afraid or a little bit guilty. He is, it says in Romans, that it's his kindness leads us to repentance. It's his kindness that draws us to him. And, um, and that his forgiveness is always there. And that he will always offer that love and forgiveness, but we are always free to reject that. And, but he will not violate our choices. Um, but it is the rejection of him that really is what is hell. If there's going to be a place that we call hell, it's the place where we decide we'd rather reject that love. Um, And so he's always urging us towards holiness. He's always inviting us. It's not a command that's just heavy, dewy. It's always an invitation. It's always, here is a still place by quiet waters, a green pasture that he is inviting us to rest with. And so chapters 7 and 8, or God is self-sacrificing and God transforms. And so that is how he makes us holy. He talks about those are the ways that he begins to make us holy by his death and by his resurrection and inhabiting us with his spirit. Um, 
So being holy, and this is what I, the, I think is the key, key, key. Being holy isn't us trying to not sin. And being holy isn't us striving to be who we think God wants us to be. Um, if we even could ever get that picture. <laughs> if you could even get your head around what it is that God wants you to be. It isn't us striving for that. And fearing God isn't something to be afraid of. It's fearing God is an awe. It is a participation in his invitation to holiness. So being holy is not our job. Just like, just like everything else, right? We can't be good. We can't be loving. It's, it's Christ inhabiting us. It's no longer us who lives. It's no longer us who strives. It's no longer us who tries and tries. It's him who does it through us. And um, just in case you're thinking that's just my good idea, here's a couple of verses. Now all glory to God, who is able to keep you from falling away and will bring you into his presence without a single fault. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen for he who calls you is faithful. He is good. He is beautiful. He is trustworthy. He is making it happen. Even if you can't see it, even if it doesn't feel like that's what's happening, that is what's happening. You are being brought to what says in Isaiah, the highway of holiness. That's where we get to be. Um, that's it. That's all I've got to say. Um, I'm just like wildly impressed that God is holy and that God has decided that me and you <laughs> get to be there. We get to be in the presence of holiness. Um so I just want to do a little more silence, and I'm, I'm going to read a poem that I was like, what is the best verse? What is the best story in the Bible that is the picture of holiness? Where can we best find that? And God gave me this brilliant, brilliant um, picture. He found the best, found the best verses. And so they'll be very familiar to you of this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like when he's holy and you are holy and we are there together. So I just want you to be quiet and then I'm going to read this poem that is the picture of when it is that we are all holy and together with him. And I, I want you to hear these words if you can as God speaking to you, because that's what they are. I want you not to be hearing my voice, but this is the voice of Jesus speaking to you. So we'll just have a few minutes of silence, and then I'll, I'll read that.
how beautiful you are, my darling. How beautiful. Rise up, my darling. Come away with me, my fair one. You are beautiful, my darling. Beautiful beyond words. Your eyes are like doves. Your hair falls in waves. Your smile is flawless. Your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is inviting. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. There is no blemish in you. No stain, no flaw. You have captured my heart, my treasure, my bride. You have made my heart beat faster with a single glance of your eyes. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride. Love's flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. Beautiful in every way. There is no blemish in you. Rise up. Come away with me, my fair one. love is sweeter than wine, Jesus. No wonder we love you. We open to you, Jesus. We open to you.
It's not ever good news, huh? And I know that just sounded so cheesy, but that's all I could think. When I closed my eyes, I just kept thinking, thank you, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Such good news. I'm so grateful that we had somebody who is an artist to talk about that topic, to talk about just the beauty of God's holiness, you know. That's one of Sandra's gifts is that she just, I mean, I think you just curate whatever you see. And I think you just curated that word, just looking for beauty and just finding the beauty in that. It's beautiful, beautiful. Thank you, friend. I just feel like we are on holy ground right now. It's just a real sense for me right now that there's a, just a sweetness. Just see and looking at a lot of you that you're still in the moment of really contemplating what it is that God's spoken to you and what's happening in your hearts right now. And, and Sandra described that so beautifully that when we encounter the holiness of God, it's a place of rest and relief relief from sin and relief from darkness and that it's a place where we can rest in the holiness of who God is and so um, I want Im- to invite us to just we, we do have a few more minutes before we're committed, those of us who have kids in kids' ministry, we're committed to sign them and relieve our teachers by 12.30. But we have a few minutes before then, and I don't want to go rushing away from this place, this sense. 